Hello and welcome to the Ben Like Bamboo Resilience Show. To Ben Like Bamboo is to master change with flexibility. And on the show, I'm interviewing special guests to talk about their journey, how, how they build resilience and how they master change in their lives. So get inspired. I'm so excited to introduce to you a very dear friend, Kate Save. Thanks for having me, Amanda. And I'm very excited to be on your podcast. Thank you. I know you're very busy, so I feel very honoured to have this time with you. So thank you for coming on. Now, let me do a proper intro because just to honour all the amazing stuff you've done, I just want everyone to know who you are. And I know that many people will know who you are, but for those that don't, Kate is the CEO of BeFit Food, uh, the winner of the 2018 Telstra Victorian Business Awards, um, Australian Financial Review, Fast Starters, um, rate ranked 29, accredited dietitian, exercise physiologist and diabetes educator. So Kate has completed a double degree in nutrition and dietetics and exercise science and completed her master's in clinical exercise physiology and an advanced diploma in diabetes education. You've studied so much, Kate. I love this. This is so <laughs> cool. You've got over 16 years of experience in the health and fitness industry, which is what I love about you. You really walk your talk, you know, you're on your path. <laughs> you really do know what you're talking about. So I can't wait for today's conversation. Kate is the director of Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition, which has 10 locations across the Mornington Peninsula, as well as managing dietitian and exercise physiology physiology services for two private hospitals. Um, Kate also lectures in the fields of nutrition and exercise science for various educational institutions and her key areas of focus are weight loss, diabetes, heart disease, um, bariatric surgery, nutrition, celiac disease, eating disorders, food intolerances, and irritable bowel conditions. Kate's main objective is to assist individuals to achieve optimal health and well-being through balanced nutrition and appropriate exercise prescription. So all rounder, you really are like you focus on nutrition a lot, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's my passion area. And I guess all the other things I think um, were areas I wanted to learn more about to be able to give the right nutrition advice. And I think the, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know much at all. So the more I you love learn. that you said that, and that just that that's 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 so true. Because um, the fact that you can even admit that that you know the more that we learn, the more we realize we don't know, just shows you are hungry hungry for education and for learning, um, and that's why you're doing such incredible things in the world. So, tell me way back, like when was the first moment you um, became obsessed with nutrition? Oh. When I was younger, much, much younger, um, I used to get these horrible tummy pains all the time and no one knew what it was. And from the age of two till about eight, I was being hospitalised a lot and going for lots of tests and scans. And in the end, um, the, they couldn't diagnose me and they basically just said it was abdominal migraine growing syndrome, which meant a tummy ache that I would one day grow out of and they didn't know when. My grandfather used to take me to all those appointments. And when he died, kind of mum and dad were like, well, he did everything and, you know, no answers came. So maybe she'll grow out of it. And I kept getting sicker and sicker. And once I got to the age of oh, about 19, I think it was, and, you know, I had a car, I was going to uni and travelling yeah. on the Monash and all those scary things. 
when I would get sick and get an attack, it's so severe that, you know, I'd be pulled over on the side of the freeway, just crippled on in pain, have to call an ambulance. And wow. um, yeah, it was horrible. And I, I think that journey um, for me being triggered these tummy aches and the doctors would always go, oh, what has she eaten? It must be something she's eaten. And so it made me aware of what I was eating, not good yeah. or bad, just what could it be that's upsetting me so bad? And, you know, that when I was younger, they thought, oh, it was lactose intolerance. So I quickly learned what that meant and what foods lactose was in and took that out of my diet. Yeah. Needless to say, I kept getting sick and it had nothing to do with lactose whatsoever. But the doctors would use that as their go-to because they didn't know what else it could be. Yeah. I think that really inspired me to learn more about food because I didn't think that food could be that harmful in a particular painful way you know physiologically I was like I feel like it's not the food I feel like the food helps me to feel good yep. it's not what's making me feel sick and um yeah really it, it that's where my interest came from and as um you know I was applying for university um applications it was really my best friends at school I said oh I don't know what I want to do I think I want to be a microbiologist or a this and that and they're like you're kidding me you're not doing something with food and I was like oh I'm not a very good cook and they're like no what about nutrition and I was like I would like to do that then yes <laughs> that was it that's how I chose to go down and you path. got to the bottom of your stomach issues in the end well, yeah, it turned out to be um, a cholidocal cyst, which they initially thought was a tumour. They wanted to put me in for emergency surgery. And wow. um, if, funnily enough, they were the years that we all used to hang out. And I had my birthday party, um, my 20th birthday party coming up the following week. And I said, wow. oh, no, I've had this thing for 18 years. I'm not going in for surgery. I've got a party <laughs> to go to. So I <laughs> put it off for two weeks and yeah. I thought, I've lived this long with it. Kind of a stupid thing to do, but hey, I survived. So that's what 19-year-olds do. <laughs> and then you removed the cyst and your symptoms improved? Yeah, it ended up being a lot more complicated. They did ruin my surgery. They re-plumbed me. So it wasn't until wow. when um, I've had other complications with what they did because I didn't realise how massive the surgery was back then. And one of my best friends is um, the head of intensive care at a, a particular private hospital. And yeah. she got a hold of all my scans one day when I was hospitalised after being on health retreat, eating too much healthy food, and they couldn't explain what it was. She's like, oh, nobody told me that you'd had ruined my surgery. And I was like, I didn't know I had that. So basically, everything's been moved around. So my body doesn't work the way a normal digestive system does anymore. And I think that's even more intriguing because I'm like, well, every individual needs different amounts of nutrients. They absorb things differently and the body does adapt. The things have got better over time. And yeah. that's what I see in my clinical practice too, is that, um, and I, I know I'm talking to the converted with your health changes as well, that the minute that you take control of it, and you can modify things and you know that you're an individual that requires something different to someone else and mm. you can get that support on your journey, yeah. then you can change your health. But you yeah. need to be open to change and taking yeah. control of it and not letting yeah. everyone else control it. Yeah, I think it's so cool that that led to opening BeFit Food, a ready-made meal business. And for very similar reasons, I said the same thing. I'm like, I can't cook very well. So... <laughs> 
maybe I'll just start a ready-made meal business, which was my line of thinking for Nourish. And, but at the same time, like, as you know, the, all the hard work it takes to, to build a startup like mm. that in hospitality and food, thank God you've got all your meals sorted because even very, very like what we're all going through now, a very long-term sort of more traumatic time, but still very consuming with energy levels and stress levels. I don't know what I would do without your meals. Like Aww. I say this all the time <laughs> to, to, to just know that my nutrition and I've got really balanced, good um, ingredients and meals taken care of for me. I love cooking and I've gotten better as I get older and I mix it up. But um, like, you know, for the last couple of months, I've just been head down, bum up with, with um, digitalizing everything. And yeah. I don't know what I would do if I could, couldn't just go and get my meals sorted and just eat it and then get back to work. So it, it is so true. And like it, for me, and having a family with two young kids as well, like kids are fussy eaters. And, you know, up until the age of two, both my kids ate anything I put on a spoon. Like, didn't matter what it was. Yeah. And I would give them the weirdest, healthiest, yucky stuff, but they still ate it. And all of a sudden, they changed their mind about everything. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, cooking at home is a real pain if I have to think about cooking for a husband and the two kids and ideally we would all eat the same thing but I know how that ends nobody eats anything <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um, it's nice to know that you know we can use the meals when we're doing something different for the kids or the kids actually eat the meals some of the time as well they like the lasagna they like a lot of the soups or like the meatballs and things like that too so you know, if we want a takeaway night, we actually don't have to order takeaway. We can just yeah, eat the totally. meal. So it's, it's, you know, just busy, being busy and yeah. not having to worry about it. Love it. So tell me, what does resilience mean to you? Resilience for me is being able to get back up again and get up, get up quickly, I guess. So um, I mean, I would get knocked down most days, I think, but um, you've got to find a way to get back up and you just have to keep getting back up. And um, you mentioned even earlier today that resilience is a muscle. The more you use it, the quicker or the better your reaction to it. And I see it that way too, that, uh, you know, every time I get knocked down, I don't even need to think about getting back up. I'm back up before I've realised I've been knocked down because you just, you, you learn. have to. You learn. Yeah. Yeah. So, but for people that are finding that difficult at the moment, is there any sort of, um, are there days where sometimes it is hard to get up and what do you do then? Well, <laughs> one of my newest things, cause I've listened to the Mel Robbins book, the, um, oh, the five second rule. I think that's what the book's actually called. And I did this this morning. I'm like, it's five 40 and I really need to go for a run, but I need to be at work before eight. How do I fit this in? Yeah. Five, four, three, two, one, roll out of bed. And then it's done. It's it works, done. doesn't it? It works. Counting backwards it. is her thing, isn't it? Yes. Just five, four, three, four, three, two, one. Go and get up. Yep. And that's it. So I use that all the time. And I think even before I kind of learned about her philosophy with things, I just know that if I shut off that alarm, yeah. I haven't decided to sleep in. I'm just yeah. so <laughs> everything's on silent. I'll edit this bit out. Sorry, darling. Oh, good. All right, let's go back to it. Sorry. Yeah. So I know that if I put snooze on the alarm, more often than not, I've actually decided not to go. So I need to know in my mind if I'm going to go or not going to go. So if I'm not going to go, I just don't set an alarm. 
And yeah. at night, if I set an alarm, that means I'm going. That's, I made that decision. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Now, awesome. That's really great advice. That's really great advice. And do you think as you're getting older and as you're, you know, evolving with all the things you have to do with business and then now having a family, do you think the resilience gets easier with experience because, you know, you've sort of learned as more and more as you get older? Yeah. And look, I think you get a thicker skin. So um, first starting out with B-Fit Food um, and particularly any of the media stuff I had to do at the start, you know, no one's... Re- <laughs> Don't worry, it's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna laugh about it. Oh dear! No, yep. it's real life. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I've got everything on silent, and I, I don't know how even my thing rang. <laughs> I only have my things on silent, so the fact that they've had volume on means that the kids have done it this morning or something. So yeah, that, all good. Anyway, you were saying. Um, so I was saying. Um, let's go back. What was so learning? Is does resilience get easier as you? get um, older because all the things you have to do in your business every day and just new skill sets that are acquired as you get good at it. Yes. So I think in the early days when I started B-Fit Food, you know, you're always scared about making mistakes and being judged. And as the business grew really quickly too, the expectation was that you grew with that. And all of a sudden you must know everything there is to know about this. And you obviously, you learn quickly, but you also learn what you don't know even quicker. And yeah. I think being able to just admit what you don't know is probably that the, you know, the best thing you can do because then you're open to learning, you're open to taking advice and asking for help. And after that's that, true. And and I think nothing I do these days, much to the disgust of um, certain people in my life, is done perfectly. And that's because I don't believe in perfect anymore. I thought things had mm. to be done perfectly. Yeah. And then I realised if you work on perfect, then mm. You're just never going to get there. You're never going to deliver. Well, it's very rigid, isn't it? Perfection feels very rigid, which is the opposite to what I think resilience means. You know, I really believe that flexibility builds resilience. And then when we're more flexible, we bring in that support and love and self-care and all the things that help you become more abundant um, and successful. Absolutely. That, I think that word sums it up for me. It's the flexibility and that's what's allowed my resilience to build is that not everything has to be perfect. It's okay to not know to make mistakes and it's okay to ask for help. And that's probably really what um, resilience is for me is asking for help. Love it. So can you share something in your life that you've been through anything at all um, that you've had to overcome so we can walk through an example of how Kate deals with resilience? Oh, okay. So going back to when I did find out that I had this potential tumour in my gut and I had to go in for surgery, I think what I learnt during that process was firstly to trust your own intuition. If there's something wrong with your body, you know it. Whether anyone else believes you or hears it or the tests say so. You know it. You know it. And I knew it and you knew it as well. When oh, yeah. When there's something wrong, you know it's wrong. So never stop looking for answers. And Going through that surgery, and it turned out obviously to be a lot more complicated than they initially thought, I woke up in hospital um, a couple of days later because I was pretty drugged out, I think, the first few days. I hardly Mm -hmm. remember them. And um, my actual 20th birthday, I was in hospital. So I'd had my party the week before. And I remember waking up and I'd I'd obviously had visitors during the day and everything, and it got to 8 o'clock at night. And I'm sitting in bed and I've got... um, 
an electric bed to sit me up and down because they've cut me from side to side and I, I can't do anything on my own. I've got a hundred tubes and bits and pieces wow. up to me. And I didn't even know you went through that back then because we met through a friend of a friend yeah. and then we were, was that the party when we were outside at that pool with, um, we're outside, was that a different party when we're that outside a on a pool? Party, okay. I remember that one. <laughs> that was a good party. <laughs> it was, yeah. Okay, so no, this is after your birthday party and then you've been cut side to side and you're in hospital. And so I've woken up and I've grabbed, I'm like, okay, I need to distract myself from what's going on here, not think about the pain, trying to find this TV remote thing. And anyway, so I get the TV on and I start watching the news Mm -hmm. and the barley bombings happened. And the news was all about the panic that it's going to happen all across the world. They're coming for Australia. And wow. I remember being in this hospital bed going, I can't even walk. I can't even sit up by myself in a bed. There's no windows in this hospital. It's all stairs. How do I escape? I'm going to be crushed. What's going to happen? Oh, that would have been a horrific feeling. Yeah. And it was my 20th birthday. Oh. I was like, I'm all by myself. Nobody in the world knows what I'm going through right now. Um, and, you know, it, it was that real, the weakest, most vulnerable moment in my whole life, I can imagine. And I just think, and on top of all that, what had happened that day is um, uh, apparently in the, the public health system that I was in at the time, um, people get forgotten about. So a nurse that who was actually a parent of one of the kids at my school at the time had checked on me the first couple of days. She'd gone away for a couple of days, had a couple of days off work, come back. And she's like, oh, when she's looked at my stomach and I said, what's wrong? And she said, oh, they've forgotten to take out your drainage tube. And I was like, what does that mean? She's like, I'm really sorry, but your skin has grown into it all and we just have to get it out. And I was like, how do you get it out? And she's like, you're going to have to bite onto this and hold my arm. And she just reached it out and it was horrendous. And I remember just for the rest of the day being in shock and she was upset. She was crying because she knew she had to do it. Oh my. Infected and whatever else. And just that real vulnerability and that hopelessness and um i made up my mind when i got out of that hospital even before i got out of the hospital i actually lied to get out of hospital because apparently to get out you had to open your bowels and do pass all these tests so i lied because i was like i'm out of here here. people forget about me you know what i'm gonna be better off home so eight days later i go home and um yeah i made up my mind that i could do it on my own and I could get past this and I'd be stronger and that I think that was the turning point and that's wow that's a moment that I can't forget it's you know it almost when I think about it it nearly breaks me to tears because it is it's just a horrible horrible thing that I wouldn't have wished on my worst enemy and before you felt positive about it, like let's stay in the, the difficulty of it for a second, like in those moments, like what did you start to believe about yourself, other people, circumstances before you would transform this? Like the lack of trust would have been mm. huge. Mortality. I remember thinking as a child, my whole life, my parents were so supportive and they were the sort of parents that didn't push me and my sister to do anything. They just supported us in anything we wanted to do. And by support, I just mean love, 
trust, encouragement, pat on the back, good job type stuff. So my sister and I were brought up to think that we could do anything we wanted to do in the world. And that wasn't because of money or anything like that, because my parents had no money, but somehow they managed to build this confidence in us that we could do whatever we wanted to do. Um, and I think getting to that low moment, but knowing that I was brought up um, not to think that way, it was that cliche where I had to challenge my own helpless thoughts and mortality thoughts um, that, yeah. you know, it, to go, no, I can do anything. And that's, it's all up here. And, you know, I let myself think about the negative and I became negative. But then, you know, going back and thinking about those positive moments and my upbringing, my family, my supports, um, my friendships. And that's what, that was your well. foundation and your, your structure. So thank God that was there as yeah. your default to fall back on yeah. when you fell in this time of like the deep despair. Do you think that when you came out and you made that decision to just get out anyway, that was the first mm. time you learned how to make your own decision according to your gut? Yes, absolutely. And I think too, like I dropped off the people in my life that weren't aligned with my values too. So if they didn't support me or um, didn't have that same positivity, that same um, positive outlook with things, I know it's very easy to slip into that negativity and staying in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I changed um, my outlook on things and a a boyfriend at the time really um, to you know, be more positive. I just, yeah, I needed to be surrounded by like-minded people to be able to keep growing as a person. And so maybe, you know, you wouldn't wish that, you know, ripping Skinner off a tube uh, Mm. for anyone, but maybe that was your experience that sort of led you to discovering who you really were and what you're made of. And that's what I really believe resilience is all about is being thrown in the deep end, um, hitting rock bottom somehow mm. because that moment of hopelessness forces you to go within and stop seeking externally and that's when we discover how powerful we are absolutely and that yeah thinking about that now I, I remember getting my first job um, out of uni um, a, you know almost a year later and I took a job well above my experience and my pay grade but you know I I I did it, you know, I yeah. leaped and just hoped that I, you know, I, I landed and I did. And then beyond that, I thought, I want to start my own business. And I remember my dad saying, oh, Kate, you know, you've got a very good job. You've worked so hard at uni to get this job. And I was like, hang on, dad, you support me in anything I just do. And I've decided I'm quitting my job and I'm going to try something on my own. Yeah. And he's like, but how do you know it'll work? And my dad actually had lost his job probably 10 years prior and he tried to start his own business. He gave himself a, a window of three years. We lost everything. We lost, you know, the second car, the, all, the, all the extras. We nearly yeah. lost our house and um, yeah. he gave up then. And I actually think that it was his own reflection of, oh, it's too risky, don't do it. And he was worried about me. And I just went, no, because... I saw that he gave up, but he gave up because he knew he needed to pay the school bills for me and my sister. And um, he opened the newspaper and the first ad he saw was for a mobile knife sharpening 
business. And he bought that for a couple of thousand dollars, whatever it was back then. And that became his new career. Never sharpened a, a knife in his life, but um, he just knew he needed to pay the bills because his business idea didn't work. And um, yeah, so that was kind of that mixed, you know, believing yourself in it. Yeah, and- yeah. And even watching what your dad went through, you you um, had by then and maybe that experience gave you that gift of tapping into your intuition and knowing what's right for you, despite what doctors or nurses or the hospitals were, you know, mm. saying maybe you should stay, you know, a bit longer. Um, and you were absolutely fine. And this sounds like it translated across into your life professionally as well, which I bet you feel like is a, you know, has served you well now. Yeah, absolutely. And it gave me a reason to, you know, listen a lot more closely to other people's stories and journeys too, because I know that if someone doesn't think something's right, then it's probably not right. And regardless of what the tests show, just keep looking. They look with me for the first sort of six years of my life. They stopped looking. They started looking again for a couple of years and it was a long time later that they actually found there was something there. So um, I actually watched a girlfriend about six months later go through a similar journey, except hers was much more horrible. She started to get all this itching on her skin. I was like, no, 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 that happened to me. When your bilirubin or your dead red blood cells build up in your system, they come to the surface and they make you itchy. And I'm like, you've got something similar to what I have. And, you know, your liver's not working, this, that and the other. And they did all these tests on her and they couldn't find the thing. In the end, they admitted her to a psych ward and told her that she had psychological problems and that's why she was scratching off all her skin. And a couple of weeks later, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh, wow. So there was something very wrong and she knew it. Mm-hmm. And it meant, No oh, one wow. believed her. Yeah, even, you know, her close friend's family just thought maybe maybe she's lost the plot maybe something's happened yeah. it wasn't that at all and you know the medical community yeah they don't yeah I know that they don't find it all <laughs> do you think that there definitely are emotional components to um you know biological stress that happens in the body that food can repair but you know is it is it worth addressing emotions um with stress in your opinion Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I do think our mind controls our body because I know for me personally, the second I let the negative in, my life spirals down. And if I can take myself out of that or not let it in, then everything changes. So I completely know when I'm in control of things and I know what takes me out of control. What takes you out? Uh, Not looking after myself. So not doing the key things, even the bare minimum. So for me, I need the time every morning to get out of the house and exercise, even if it's eight minutes. So eight minutes is my minimum that I do every day. Sometimes I'll do an hour, but I'll do eight minutes at least every day. And that's just, I need that. And people are like, what's the point? And I'm like, trust me, it changes my mindset for the day and I absolutely need it. So that's my non-negotiable. And having the food that I want to eat during the day. Um, For me, I guess, I really value the evening meal. So I'm not as fussed during the day. I'm happy to, you know, have whatever healthy bits and pieces are around, but I'm not as fussy, but I always have to have a healthy evening meal. And I think that's because that's how I was brought up. My dad was actually a very, very good cook. He still is. And... um, that evening meal, the emphasis on that meal was so grand that that's, you know, in my mindset, I know um, 
I'm one of those painful people and particularly as a kid, when everyone else was having pizza for dinner, I was like, oh, can we order a salad box for me to go with the pizza? Like I'm more than happy to eat the pizza, but I, that's not dinner for me. That's a piece of bread with some cheese on it. I need dinner. So I need veggies or salad or something. Yeah. Um, but that's how my mind works. So dinner for me has to have um, all of the greens, all the all the things that make me feel yeah, all the nutrient like I'm looking after myself. And pieces, yeah, because yeah. you know, because you've studied it, you understand that what well, green leafy yeah. vegetables, deeply coloured yeah. fruits and vegetables, sulfur-rich fruits, like you know what's in them and what they do to yeah. you, you know, biochemically, and then that's connected to that. So when you have mm. that knowledge, and I notice that with brain scientists and people that have studied physiology um, and, you know, various different teachers that I've had in my life, when they understand all those processes and connections, they, and, and now that I do as well, I just can't mm. help but not add those extra greens oh, have to, to my do meal. It. have to do it. It's just, even snack foods for me, I really can't be bothered with non-nutritional foods and it's not about weight it's not about calories it's not about anything like that it's just if I'm gonna have salty snack food at a party type thing I would rather be eating wasabi peas or um you know dips and whole grain crackers or whatever it is because I prefer it I I feel better for it yeah I enjoy it and I prefer it I I could not be bothered with plain potato chips. I just, no. I don't see the point. And you don't feel good after you eat it. And when yeah. you eat better, you feel better. I know you specialize in weight loss. Like we won't dive into that too much, but like just one or two tips, like what's the secret of losing weight? If you just had one or two things to say, is it yeah. like interval timing or? Oh, okay. So I've got two probably big philosophies on this. One is carb to protein ratio. So I actually trademarked this um, before beef fit food. So to me, carb to protein ratio is kind of the secret to controlling your appetite, nourishing your body and maintaining a healthy weight. And by that, I mean that with every meal that you have, you should have either a one-to-one ratio of carbs to protein or slightly higher protein compared to carb. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. So if you had, um, let's pick pasta bolognese, right? I would cook the bolognese with all the extra veggies in it and the, you know, you might throw a tin of lentils in there and you've got your minced meat and whatever else. And then with the pasta component, I would probably put in, you know, half a cup of pasta so that I get my 20 grams or 10 to 20 grams of carbs and at least 20 grams of protein. And that would give me my one-to-one ratio of protein to carbs. And then I have a big green salad or something with it on the side. Yeah. Or if we're talking about an individual packaged unit, like a yogurt, for example. Yeah. um, If you read the packet of a yogurt, the carbohydrates on a good yogurt might sit somewhere around seven, eight, and the, the protein might sit around 10. If you've got a rubbishy yogurt, then the carbohydrates will sit at about 20 and the protein will sit at about four or five. And that's a four to one ratio. And everything you eat should be one to one or less. Yes. And we're acknowledging it as a vegetarian food. Sometimes a, that carb to protein ratio is thrown off a lot, but that's because you've got a lot more fiber in the meal. So I would just consider that extra carbohydrate in the vegetarian meals. Yeah, because you have to. Because yeah. you, you, a lot of that extra carbohydrate is actually fiber. So maybe a two to one in some of those meals is okay. Great advice. Um, 
but that's what I really stick to. And I use that on anything. Like I'm just looking around all the, the snacks even sitting in my office. Like I've yeah. got a, a little proteiny drink thing here. And even here without looking, what have we got? Protein 12.12, carbs 2.3. There you go. And that's, didn't even look, wouldn't have checked, but that's, it's an all natural almond milky thing with a, a natural chocolate flavor, no added sugar, but it's just high protein. And, and is that because you're, you're more inclined to burn fat for fuel rather than glucose for fuel on that ratio? Is that the bottom line? Yes. Yeah. And my body feels better for it. When I'm totally. burning fat, I don't run out of energy. That's right. If I start my day with a carbohydrate food, say for example, um, we're on holidays or I don't know, I bought the kids raisin toast or something that like it's very bready so and good all carb. And, yeah. And yeah. all carb. And if I ate that, I can guarantee my whole day is a write-off. I'm hungry every two hours. Yeah. I'm getting tired. I'm crashing. Yeah. I can't be bothered exercising. And it's and inflammatory as well. Eradicating. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, that's, I love that tip. And that, that makes sense. It's, it's actually, I didn't understand that ratio actually. So I, thank you for that. Um, I don't have to worry about it because I've got your meals. Yeah. <laughs> but when I cook. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah. And, and look, my other one is really just compensation theory that I will eat whatever I want to eat. And yeah. it, um, it, who knows, like it could be one day a cheesecake and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. But the next day, naturally, my body compensates in a sense that yeah. maybe um, I don't eat as early during the day and I naturally fast. Yeah, you kind of balance it out somehow. Yeah, and that's compensation theory for me is, you know, if you're, I don't know, even if you're going to go out or something like that, like have a smaller lunch because you know that when you yeah. go out that night, you might be drinking and eating and, um, you know, maybe you're having less healthy foods. And But then I don't care. I don't worry about it. I don't think about it because I'm there to have a good time and I've already compensated yeah. that day or the next day you fast until yeah, you just do the best you can. And on, on most yeah. days just stick to those principles. And, and, and is it important to separate, um, you know, at least six hours between breakfast and lunch and sometimes to fast as long as possible between dinner and your breakfast the next day? Uh, look, I often think that fasting works well for me, but it's an individual thing. I have seen a lot of clients that need to eat more often and, that's yeah. fine because if they don't eat often enough, what I find is they binge and gorge later on yeah. or um, they've got no energy and they don't exercise. So I think it's really individual. And yeah. I'd like to think that that would work for everyone because it works for me. But when I have seen other case studies of my own patients, I've seen them be successful lots of different ways. And, you know, it is up to the individual, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, great advice. Um, so, oh gosh, well, I think we've covered um, so much of what I wanted to ask you, but I actually also want to ask you, I know we talked about how, you know, your rock bottom moment turned into something that happened for you rather than to you. Um, but how is your life better now having gone through that? Oh, I just have a, um, I, I guess, a different view on things that I am mortal, I'm not here forever, and at any point in time, everything can change. So just make the most of every moment, every day, and be grateful for what you have. We can get so serious about yeah. life, don't we? And we forget yeah. to just go, 
go with the flow, not take it so seriously and just not worry about so much stuff with, that gets us in our head and, yeah. you know, and then when we can drop out of our heads into the heart and you feel that heart opening, it just feels more flowy, you feel more joy. We yes. get brain integration back then. Yes. You no, know, we can problem solve. the small stuff. That's exactly. I really can't be bothered with those, the little things and... Yeah, I just let those things go. You know, it could be a text message that's unpleasant, an email that's unpleasant, this or that. I'm like, I'm not even going to entertain that thought. I will just... It is a choice, isn't it? Yeah. Not and I find it. the yeah. calmer I am during the day from my morning and evening rituals and some that I do across the day, the more inclined I'm able to do that. Whereas if I'm stressed and rigid, I, I react more. Whereas when I'm more calm, I'm more elevated and I can see things from that higher perspective and I'm able to not sweat the small stuff, but it's really impossible to do when we're stressed. So yes, yes, but it's our responsibility, isn't it? To give our mind and body the best environment to be as calm, as present as possible. And the rest kind of just flows from there. So what, what's the biggest thing you learned through that? Oh, you can only control your response or your reaction to things that happen. Yeah. So I think you, everything is a learning and everything happens for a reason, good or bad, and we, you have to grow from it. So you've got to learn something, no matter how negative the experience is, and grow from it and um, control your reaction to it. So you have a choice. You can be poor me and live in that, you know, miserable kind of low moment, or you can go, wow, that was horrible. I never want to be in that position again. But if it did happen to me again or someone I know, I'd know how to better support them because yeah. I've been through it now and I've learned what works compassion exactly and and we know what it feels like when we've really let go of like worrying about the small stuff and we're more relaxed and that's why i really believe journaling and meditation is so critical because mm. it helps you to capture that mindset from the start of the day as you would exercise immediately to capture your state that you want to start your day with yeah. um and then that translates to all our decisions for the rest of the day Absolutely. Yes. Set your day up well and then the rest takes care of itself. <laughs> totally. So do you have three tips for everyone today on how to be more resilient? Yes. So the first one is just remember you can't control your environment, but you can control your reactions. So yes. choose to find the positive in everything, whether that positive is just a learning, that's all. Yeah. Um, the second one would be in that perfectionism so don't seek perfectionism don't seek uh, something that is beyond um, your attainability with ease and confidence so if it feels too hard then you're going the wrong way about it so uh, I think yeah not seeking perfectionism and the, the last one yep. would be just really believing in yourself because if you trust your intuition and trust your gut feeling then you you have that confidence and that that resilience to keep going no matter how many times you get beat down you will always come back up and the quicker you come back up every time you know you just don't get you don't feel like you're beat down anymore i love that swim downstream not upstream you know which yeah. way you're swimming <laughs> Yeah, you know when that resistance comes. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. Um, so how can people find um, Be Fit Food? And I really want to talk about these amazing challenges that you offer. 
Okay, yeah, it's pretty easy. Go to befitfood.com.au and we've got a 14-day challenge that we offer and you can start any time. And the reason why we do the 14 days is we believe from a, a mindset point of view, it's really important to stick at something for more than a week because you've got to undo some of those bad habits in the first week. And then by the time you get to the second week, it's easy. You're changing those habits. It becomes second nature. And by the end of that second week, you no longer have those bad habits. And yep. I, I guess you've got that perspective. You go, wow, gosh, those first few days were hard. Now I've come to the end of it. It just feels easy again. So 14 days is a really, um, you know, achievable um, amount of time to be in a program, I think. And we offer the 28-day programs as well, but a lot of the time people aren't ready to commit to 28 days. So I think it just warms them up. And if they want to do two in a row, they can create their own program. I agree. Like two weeks <laughs> just to start. And then when you need to come back and mm. refresh for spring, which is perfect for now, and, you know, some of the poor eating or bad drinking habits through lockdown, yes. you know, that some of us yes. might have, like, fallen into. Um, <laughs> But um, lucky um, my eating habits are good. Um, but yeah, no, look, we've all gone through stuff. It's been such a trying time. And um, I reckon even the second time to come back for a challenge, I would totally do a month. And um, yeah, so that's great. So um, I really highly recommend Kate's food and definitely try a challenge. And even Ben Like Bamboo are offering a special, use the coupon code Ben Like Bamboo 15 and you'll get $15 off as well. So thanks, Kate. Thank you for your time today. I've had so much fun chatting to you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And it's lovely to get to chat to you. It's, you know, it feels nice to talk to a supportive community. So thank you. Oh, I'm always here for you. And I'm so glad to have you in my life. And you know, thank you for everything that you do. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> All right. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.